And uh, so we're going to be looking at several texts, but if you'd like to turn first to John 15, you can go ahead and start heading that way to John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Um, I thought what I would do this morning is just do some live, right in front of you, exegesis of some scripture about the Lord and his love. What do y'all think about that? Um, As I said, this is not going to be a a sermon in the traditional sense, uh, but I'm going to take what God has given us and simply discuss how wonderful our God is. And uh, it's Valentine's Day. There is no greater Valentine than I can think of than God's love for me and for you. I was sitting there thinking as we were singing that when my faithfulness is great, the Lord loves me. When my faithfulness is not great, the Lord still loves me. His love doesn't change based on how great I am. And I'm so, I'm so thankful for that, that he is great because his love never changes, never fails. So in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, the scripture says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, once again, Lord, we approach the throne of heaven. Lord, where you sit, Lord, where you rule, where you are holy and just, and Lord, you make no mistake, you contain no error within your directions, your word, Lord, has no contradiction. Lord, every failing, every mistake that goes on is because of our sin. But Lord, you took all those things and forsaken them, Lord. You threw them as far as the east is from the west. You turned, Lord, from judging our sin, Lord, to loving those who have repented of that sin, who've put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, today I stand here not perfect, Lord, This sermon, no, no preparation time. But Lord, you are still good. And whenever we are looking at your word and talking about you and lifting your name on high, Lord, we do no wrong. Lord, it is only when I make it about myself that I err. So leave that behind, Lord. Remove that flesh. Remove that desire of the flesh to praise itself. And let the spirit freely, Lord, sing praises to you. Lord, when my faithfulness is great, you love me. When my faithfulness is not great, and it is often not great, you love me. You laid down your life for me. You said I was your friend. Lord, I'm so grateful, so humbled, and so joyful that you, Lord, you don't just have love for me. You are love for me. And that, Lord, I trust in today. In your name I pray. Amen. So Jesus makes a statement now in John 15, 12, and 13 that begins to hearken back to the Old Testament. He says, this is my commandment. And the disciples and the people around who are hearing this statement, they're used to hearing commandments. They've memorized the Ten Commandments. Many of them have memorized the entire law of Leviticus. And so they know commandments. They're good at following commandments. But then Jesus, uh, as the kids like to say, flips the script Jesus instead takes their preconceived notion of what it means to be a good Jew following the law and instead says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he sets a standard now, as I have loved you. At this point, an apostle like Peter 
has done several things wrong, made several mistakes, but he does not even know yet the mistake he's going to make, does he? Remember in your, your, your Gospels, Peter's going to deny the Lord Jesus three times after Jesus tells him he's going to do this. It would be very similar if there was a, a pothole and someone was walking and I said, hey, watch out for that hole, you're going to trip. And I told him three times and then they walk right into it and trip. Peter is going to deny Jesus Christ. He doesn't even realize that when Jesus says, as I have loved you, Jesus is going to hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's going to find Peter on the Sea of Galilee. He's going to be there on the shore, and he's going to say, Peter, feed my sheep. He's going to bring Peter back into the fellowship. Even though Peter rejected, even though Peter ran away like the prodigal son, Jesus has love for him that he does not yet understand. And in so doing, setting this standard for you and I now, Jesus has love for you that you don't fully understand yet. Now, that's not to say you're not mature as a Christian or you don't walk with Jesus or that you're not saved. No. What I mean is the love that abounds in heaven, removed uh, from all of the sin and flesh we still have. Our brother Carlos, he knows how much God loves him. Miss Darlene Wesley, Holly and Amy's mother, she knows how much God loves her now. See, we know God loves us, but we don't know fully yet. Jesus sets the standard not based on our works, our worldly standards of things, because we have standards, right? But we have to have lawyers to keep those standards. We have to have contracts to keep our agreements. No longer can a man or even a woman say, I'll give you my word. Word means nothing now. doesn't mean anything. That used to be a legally binding term. I give you my word. I'll trade you this cow, right, for these chickens. That better be a lot of chickens, I suppose. <laughs> I give you my word. I will do this thing, but no longer. The world is so bound in contracts and in law. We have to regulate our flesh so much because we don't have love for each other. God loves in a way that we have not yet understood. He calls it greater love. Has no one than this. Nobody loves more than the one who sacrifices himself for his friends. I'm a, I'm a great uh, lover of history, specifically early 20th century, World War II. And I was reading a history book one time which I do for recreation, kids. I really do sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, I'm very boring. <laughs> you can ask my wife, very boring. And um, I was reading this story about an infantryman on June 6, 1944, D-Day, and they're storming the beaches of Omaha, and this young 18-year-old kid throws himself on top of barbed wire so that the other soldiers can jump over him. There's no glory in that. No flag to be planted. No, no declaration of a battle won. But he did it because he loved his friends. I mentioned earlier in my Sunday school class about a battle that took place in Afghanistan in 2009 where several medals of honor, I can't even remember how many exactly were won, but more than one. Soldiers in bulletproof Humvees, hearing the cries of their friends who had been shot and were bleeding out, left the safety and went out into the fire, lost their own lives, but they saved the lives of their friends. Jesus says this is the greatest love. You lay down your life for your friends. And what does Jesus do? Makes good on his word. When Jesus says, I give you my word, it will not fail. And he will not renege. He will make good on his word. He lays down his life. Even though in the garden we can read that he says, take this cup from me, Lord, but not my will, your will be done. This is how much God loves you. Hebrews later says Jesus looked at the cross 
did not despise hurt, did not despise pain, did not despise nails or spears. He despised the shame. Jesus knew the shame of sin. That's what he was going to face. But he did it because he loves you. He loves you. Jesus is your greatest friend. He has laid down his life for you. If you claim him today, then you ought to be willing to lay down your life. And folks, God has not called us to sacrifice our physical lives yet. And he may not do so. We are wonderfully blessed. Right now, Jesus is saying, when you lay down your life, I mean when you do Christian service, you lay down your life. When you preach the gospel, you lay down your own life because our lives, our fleshly lives, they don't desire righteousness or holiness. They desire sin. You lay down your life when you go to church. See, I think for a long time to combat the idea that the church building was kind of holy and precious and special, you know, we eventually had to start teaching people, you have to be the church outside of the building. And then I watched it during the COVID-19 pandemic last year, many people, because many churches were going online to Zoom, suddenly realized, hey, I don't have to go to church at all. But we're not commanded that. What does Hebrews 10 tell us? Do not neglect to meet together. I promise you, you will never get the accountability, the fellowship, or the love just online. You, you, you may get to hear me right now, and some people will because of health reasons. They can't be here, and God knows their heart. He knows. He knows. In fact, our brother Ray would much rather be here. But you will never get the fellowship or the love as the moments before and after the worship service. In fact, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the best time to hear a sermon, but it's about the worst time to try to meet somebody new. It really is. It really is. The best times are right before, right after those conversations. Times when I have promised my children french fries and I've had to leave because they're hungry and there's still people on the front porch fellowshipping. The best moments. The best moments. Love is a command, but it's the best command. And it's not a command that's hard to follow. It's not hard to follow in Jesus. When we find ourselves finding it hard to love, someone's wronged us, someone's done something to us, we can know that's not God, that's me. I'm having a hard time loving. God does not have a hard time loving. In fact, I believe, as we're going to see at the end of this in 1 John, when God says that he is love, he doesn't have love. He doesn't have the best version of love. He is love. We know love because we know God. When you love, that's godliness. That's holiness in you. Let's take a look at Romans 8.28. In fact, if some of you are familiar, Romans 8. I, I have different favorites of the Bible, so my favorite book is James. My favorite chapter is Romans 8. And my favorite verse is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So Romans 8 is my favorite chapter, and I love this verse from Romans 8.28. And it's especially comforting today as we have heard about another death, but a death of a Christian saint. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those called according to his purpose. Why is there death in this world? Because God has purpose. Why is there hurt and pain? Because God has purpose. 
One of the things that I'm able to say to young people when they say, why did my parents, my father leave me? Why did my friend die? Why did these things happen? I don't, have to, I don't just get to stand there and go, I don't know. No, I can say God has purpose. He has purpose in your pain, purpose in death, purpose in the hurt. He's not doing this to you. I got to tell a young person struggling with depression one time, God is not doing this to you to punish you. God is actually bringing you closer to him. What you think is now a hardship, you will one day know is a blessing. God has purpose for those who love him. See, we're not talking about the entire world. And it's a saddening thing to know, but I'm not talking about those who shake their fist at heaven and reject the gospel after they've heard it. This is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is a terrible thing, as Jonathan Edwards said, to be descended over the pit of hell as if by a spider's web, still shaking your fist angry at God. Those who love God, those who have heard the gospel and they've seen in their hearts and minds my wretchedness and sin and the holiness of God, and that's what I need. The love of Jesus Christ that will save me from my sin, that's what I need. I'm telling you today, church, you must love God for all things to work together for good. Those who reject God, those who turn from him, those who literally say, I hate him, I will never follow him, they're going to work towards God's purposes, but it will not be good. It will not be good on that day to stand before God and know you've shaken your fist at heaven the entire life. God will not say to you, well done. He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you practicer of sin, you who loved evil. And there will be no tears on that day. There will be no way to be able to say to God, it's not fair. I can't believe that you're just going to send me to hell. Even though Romans 1 says that I, the gospel has been brought into the entire world, that no one has been deceived, no one has not heard, no one is going to be able to stand before God and say, you didn't ever tell me, God. No, God has sent his message into the entire world. Because John 3, 16, he loves the world. Timothy says he desires no one to fall into the pit of hell. But again, we see Romans 8, 28, for those who love God. Why is there evil in this world? Because people don't love God. Why is there pain and injustice? Because people do not love God. Why do you struggle sometimes? Because even as a Christian, sometimes we love our flesh instead of loving God. The beginning of Romans 8 says, Do not set your mind on the things of the flesh, for you will walk in them. Set your mind instead on the things of the Spirit. If you want good in your life, if you want the love of God in your life, then you must love God. Jesus said these things were simple. He said, It is not a heavy yoke. I do not give a hard burden. Instead, I have simplicity. And let no one rob you of the simplicity of Christ. Come to me. Cast your cares upon me. And I will give you what? Rest. Love me. And you will know the greatest love. The best commandment. God is love. And he loves you. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5. 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5. As I said, I was just going to live exegete some text for you all. First Timothy, chapter 1, 
verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, The aim of our charge, so the goal of ministry, the goal of being a Christian, the goal of being a church member, whether it's 2,000 years ago in the early church or whether it's today, the aim of our charge, the goal, is love that issues, that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, we all want love, right? We especially want someone to love us. But if we're going to have love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith, we have to walk backwards now toward love. You cannot love without sincere faith. And it is proven in those who say, oh, I'm a Christian. Even in our own denomination, there's 16 million Southern Baptists. Now, I've looked at the factual data on this, okay? Here's some accurate numbers. This is over the last 10 years, give or take. There's 16 million Southern Baptists in America. On any given Sunday, there was about 5 million in church on Sunday morning. On any given Sunday night, if they had Sunday night service, there was only about a million. And then on Wednesday night, which here at Joppa, our Wednesday nights are big service, like a lot of churches do Sunday night, there was only less than half a million across the entire convention. From 16 million to half a million. There's many who say, I'm a Christian. There's, th there's about 330 million Americans in this country. There's about 250 million that claim Christianity. Those numbers do not correspond to the numbers in churches. Not at all. In fact, if, even if you look at Levy County, just the county we're in, there's about 40 to 45 churches. There's give or take, as I've talked to guys, other pastors, there's about 100, 150 people. There's 40,000 people living in Levy County. We do not have any accurate numbers on how many of the 40,000 in Levy County claim to be Christian, but it's very high on the census. Very high. But they're not in church, and they're never in church. See what I mean? You don't have to be in the building to be a Christian, but you never go, you're never with God's people. You never sit under teaching of Scripture. It's very hard to claim Christianity when you don't do anything that Christians do. So we want a sincere faith, which leads to a good conscience. Why can I stand here today? Why can I stand here and preach to you? Why can you come here with joy? Because of a good conscience. And the knowledge that if I have a guilty conscience... Right? A bad conscience, all I lack is to go to Jesus in prayer, in a moment, and say, Lord, forgive me. And what will God say? What will God say? Like the prodigal father, come home. Come back. Like Jesus said to Peter, you might have little faith, but I got you. I, Michael, I love that photo of Jesus reaching into the water. I got you. Your faith may be small. It might be mustard seed small but I got you. See, if you've got a guilty conscience this morning, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can go to the one that I'm preaching to you about. You can go to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reach his hand down, grab a hold of your life and your heart, and he'll change it. So a sincere faith leading to a good conscience and eventually leads to that pure heart. You know, I've had to say already in 10 years of paid on staff ministry, I'm sorry, a lot of times, a lot of times. 
But I'm thankful to God that most of the time, my mistakes were I had a pure heart. I made the mistake. I said the thing I shouldn't have said. But I had a pure heart. I had no intention to hurt, to, to be mean, to do anything evil. I had a pure heart. See, Christian, you can have that today. You'll still have that sinful flesh, but when you know in my heart I'm doing, I'm doing for the Lord my best, it's such a joyful thing. In fact, I, let me, let me uh, tell you a scenario. One of my favorite things as a kid, and even now, how do you feel when you have finished? Let's say, usually most people's day off is Saturday, so let's say Friday night. Friday night, you have gotten home from work. And miraculously, let's just imagine a scenario where you have finished all the house chores. And if you're a student like me, you've done all the homework. Now, this is going to be a miracle level, but let's, let's just imagine that you finished all your homework. And everybody in your family at that, that particular Friday night, they're just all good. Everybody's happy. And you do, like, let's say you, you, you do the laundry and you wash all like the bed sheets. And you lay down in bed that night with clean sheets. Everything is done. You're, all your assignments are turned in. All the paperwork's done at work. All the bolts are put in, Brother David, on that engine. <laughs> and you lay there that night and drift off to sleep perfectly content. If you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm going to start praying for you. <laughs> That is a feeling that I chase most of my adult life. <laughs> but there are, there are select few times when the Lord just lines things up and I'm able to accomplish all the tasks for just a week. Monday's coming and it's all going to start again. <laughs> but just for one, one time, I sit there and know everything is good. I have no guilt in my heart. And I'm simply exist, excuse me, <clears throat> existing in the graciousness of God. This is the goal of being a Christian. You still won't be perfect. Monday's coming. Temptation is coming. Sin is still there. But God, I think, gives us brief moments where we know what heaven's going to be like. Sometimes I think, I, I try to imagine heaven, and I know that you can't fully grasp it, but I think it's like when you finish a project and something is done and complete, and that feeling of accomplishment and pride, which a good form of pride that something has been done. I sometimes imagine that heaven is just that kind of feeling all the time. Because the one who finishes all things is there. And we get to be with him for all eternity. I'm going to skip a long section of text that I put in here to read. And for no other reason than I'd like to take you right away to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to finish up here in a minute, and we're going to go enjoy some delicious food that some saints have prepared. And as I said uh, today, with no time, which some of the best sermons are no time, uh, this, however, was not my shortest one time here at Joppa. I had five minutes to prepare. Um, so, yeah, this is nothing. This is I, I had an hour. I mean, I was, it was good. <laughs> but I will tell you that if you ever find yourself, you know, in a moment where you're the person on deck, you've got to speak or you've got to talk to somebody about the Lord, just crack open that Bible, start reading. It's all good. <laughs> you're not going to make a mistake. <laughs> First John chapter 4, start in verse 7. And let's just read just some of the beauty that we see here. He starts out in verse 7. Beloved, those of you who I love, those of you who are loved by God, 
my family, my brothers, my sisters. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How do I know that I'm truly a Christian? I have love for God's people and for the world. How do I know that I'm really born of God? Because I love unconditionally. Some of my students in here can tell you what the Greek word is for the word love. Agape. See, the Greeks had several words for love. Agape being the most important. We use an American term, uh, unconditional. But agape, uh, in fact, goes just a little bit deeper. In fact, agape love is the love that God describes himself as. We stand before God, wretched with sin, but God has agape. He wipes it away. He gives us righteousness and he makes us clean. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, in this. So this is the mindset. This is the framework. This is where we want to be as a church, as a people, as Christian individuals. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The Jews every year read the Song of Solomon at a special time of prayer. Song of Solomon, which is a, a love poem between husband and wife, personified in Revelation by the love Jesus has for his bride, the church. And the Jews read Song of Solomon every year just to remind themselves how good the love of God is. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The Bible calls it a love feast. In eternity... We're going to sit at the table of God and enjoy this love feast forever. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Folks, if you're sitting in here today and you know this Savior I'm talking about, then God bless you. Whatever hurt, struggle, death, pain, anything you might face, God will bring you through. But if you sit here today and you don't know the son that was sent into the world, you don't know this Jesus Christ that I'm talking about, then I encourage you right now to go to him and say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need this love in my life. I need this love in my heart. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's not just have a great life here in America. Let's not just have a great life in the flesh, a great life in this world. No, Jesus is talking about eternity, that we might truly live through what he has done for us, his sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. Never forget, this is what separates you from every other religion and from everything in the world. Your God died for you, but he rose again and lives forever for you. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. He loves you. It is time now to enjoy, rest, and return that love to him. Love God, for God is love, and God loves you. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, once again, we come to you, Lord, thanking you for that love you have given 
for all the things we have known and seen in our lives, Lord, whether it be good or bad. Lord, if we trust in our own power, we will fail. If I trust in my own strength and speaking abilities and articulation, Lord, I will fail miserably. Lord, but when I trust in you, when I say, Lord, you speak through me, whether I'm preaching to the entire church or whether I'm talking to someone on the street, Lord, when you speak, the power is there. When the Holy Spirit guides and leads, salvation is there. When Jesus, Lord, is becoming the Lord of a person's heart, eternity with God is assured. Lord, you love us so much. That love is so unconditional, we cannot even describe, we cannot even understand, we cannot know how truly good this love is. I'm so thankful, Lord. I know the times that I thought only about me, Lord. And you would have been fully justified in removing your favor and goodness and grace and mercy from me. But you did not. You did not because you love. I thank you, Lord Jesus. And once again, I ask, give us this love. Let us live in it. And let us return this love to each other and to you. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.